This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Illinois is facing an unfortunate reality right now. The state reported its highest daily COVID-19 case count since the start of the pandemic this week. Nearly 5,000 new cases, and it's part of a worrying trend. As a result, Governor J.B. Prisker is moving to tighten restrictions, including at restaurants and bars. We're putting mitigations in on a targeted basis to make sure that we bring down our positivity rates so that those businesses can reopen to indoor service. Mayor Lightfoot also announced that non-essential businesses, including bars, will need to close by 10 p.m. in Chicago. We are, no doubt whatsoever, in the second surge. The dramatic uptick in cases and deaths is something we're seeing across the Midwest and the Plains, with North Dakota reporting the most cases per capita in the entire country. As is the case with this entire pandemic, what we know about COVID-19 continues to change. That's why every week we bring in Dr. Mia Taramina to answer your questions. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Taramina, welcome back to Reset. Hey, Justin. All right. As you heard in the intro, there are, there are moves now to restrict indoor dining. Uh, this is specifically in DuPage, Will, Kane, and Kankakee counties. What do you make of this move? Are, are we we're sliding backwards? We are definitely sliding backwards. I mean, there are databases and statistics, and we know how this virus is more likely spreading and where. And the nature of indoor dining especially is that we have our masks off. We are in close proximity to one another, and those are some of the highest risk areas. We have studies that show that the majority of people who are diagnosed COVID positive uh, can report in the last week dining out or eating in an environment that is um, otherwise crowded, and this is becoming a problem. Nobody wants these restaurants and bars to close, but we have to do what it takes, and we have to do our part in order to reverse this trend, get that rolling positive rate in these hard, hardest hit areas down to below six and a half percent in order to get to a point where they're allowed to reopen at a greater capacity. Yeah, when you see the the numbers, uh, you know, almost five thousand in one day, and, and we're hitting these uh, record highs. As somebody, uh, you know, as a doctor who's an infectious disease specialist, did you see this coming? Was this something you knew a second surge would come at some point, but did you think it would be uh, bigger than what we had at the beginning of the pandemic? We knew that a second surge was coming from the very beginning. We knew that it would hit this fall. I think the numbers are much higher because obviously we have expanded testing and things like that. Uh, we may have had far more cases in the spring than we realized, which would have made this mm. bump feel like less of a mountain. Uh, but make no mistake, this is a surge. This is not a second wave. We're still kind of looking at these durations of the first wave. So we've had some ups and downs from March onward. And 
and here we are with some significant numbers. But in addition to, you know, far more tests returning positive, we are definitely seeing a higher percentage of the population that is indeed positive at this point. Yeah. You know, I wonder because uh, Dr. Deborah Burks came to Chicago, it was a big story yesterday, uh, picked up by the country, the national news as well, about saying that, you know, it's not necessarily about indoor bars. It's about gatherings, people getting together. If you shut down all the bars and restaurants, you're still going to have this issue. You're not going to see a, a decrease in numbers because people are gathering in their homes. That kind of messaging, that, and, and it was seized upon. It was politically seized upon saying, see, you can't, it doesn't matter if you close restaurants. That's the thing that, that I think is confusing Americans, that we're not sure exactly what the messaging is coming from the top. Oh, absolutely. And it is sort of counterintuitive to think, okay, if we're not going to go out to dinner with our family and friends, then let's have them all come over here. Um, interacting in, in your household with your family and friends, again, even that should be limited. But these tend to be folks that you have interacted with on a more regular basis while going out into the wild, so to speak. You may be interacting with people in close proximity that are not part of your isolation bubble. So absolutely, it's kind of a double-edged sword. We want to minimize these higher risk encounters, but we have to take it upon ourselves as well to you know, mitigate these these exposures at home and limit the interactions. We really should not have more than uh, a family or two together. And the family or two that is together, you know, should not be 25 or 30 people at your home for a holiday meal at this point. Yeah. We really need to limit these interactions. All right. The phone lines are jammed. Everybody wants to talk today. I, I, can, I can understand why. So let's open the phones. Let's go to Lenore, who's in Hyde Park to start it off. Lenore, welcome to Reset. Thank you. What's your question? Um, I don't eat indoors in a restaurant, but I'm wondering how safe it is to eat outside, but in, in a tent or an igloo that the restaurant has put over one or more tables. Are those actually safe? Yeah, that's a great question because, and we even talked to a business owner who's putting up a tent uh, this week. I mean, it's still indoor space. So how, how do you answer Lenore on this one? You know, an indoor setup that, you know, we're going to move into the fall here and have, you know, more of these indoor-outdoor setups where we have tents and, and heating, it, it all depends on the proximity of persons, what the capacity is of that, and what the ventilation is. So a lot of these outdoor tents that have some open air capacity and good circulation are going to be less of a risk than a true indoor environment, but not an absolute zero. So we need to be mindful if you are in an environment like this that there is still uh, fairly significant spacing, that when you're not eating or drinking, that you are masking, and that uh, there is, you know, some ventilation, some circulation, open air, whether it's a window, a door, or something that's allowing the air to circulate through. Um, okay, let's go to, let's uh, head up to Roselle. Roselle is where my grandparents lived for a long time. Let's go to uh, Saad. Saad, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you so much. My question is, uh, the rates of positivity definitely seem to be going up in this surge. But for whatever reason, it seems like we're hearing about less people in ICU. Are we just seeing less sick COVID patients now? Great question. Thanks, Saad. I'm on the front lines. I'm seeing many, many more COVID patients in the last couple of weeks than I had in the last couple of months. And they are, by far and away, not in the ICUs. So one, our therapeutics, our management of these patients has gotten better. We also have the issue where, as we are just seeing these numbers come up, it's a little too soon to see who's going to have 
a really bad, you know, next week or next week. Some of these patients that I'm seeing today that seem like they're holding their own in the next three, five, seven days, maybe ones that take that unfavorable turn and end up in our ICU. So those ICU numbers may be lagging behind what we're seeing on our general medical floors. And also, we, we just plain lost so many of our friends and relatives in the first surge of this virus that many of the patients that are being hospitalized now are a little more robust, perhaps are, are less vulnerable patients. So there's a lot of factors coming into play. I am concerned that we are going to see patients having a, a turn and a trend towards not doing as well in the next week or two, depending on how this current hospitalization for them is going. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, when you just look at Wisconsin, a good example just in the last couple of weeks is hosp- hospitalizations and, and bed capacities have, have gone almost to, to 100%. I mean, it, it, that's a good indication of when we start to see numbers that start to reflect what they were doing in Wisconsin, it's gonna, it could be similar. Oh, it, it could be. They're opening field hospitals in Wisconsin. That's the last thing I want to see and have us entertain is the fact that we are going to need alternate capacity uh, if this surge continues. Hmm. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we, we got this week from Philip, who's in Logan Square. I'm calling in regards to a question about the safety of small gatherings and serving food at those small gatherings. I uh, host a regular poker game or a board game night, and we rarely exceed four or five people, and lately we have not been serving food. Uh, What is the safest way to go about hosting these events and uh, ensuring that uh, we are doing so in a responsible manner? Yeah, it's Philip in Logan Square. Dr. Termina? Uh, This is tough. It's a tough one to answer because it's these exact events that seem safe. It's a small gathering. It's people that you interact with regularly. But the risk of transmission of the virus, if any one of those individuals is positive and you're not wearing masks, is going to be fairly high. Um, I would suggest a a gathering like a poker gathering be a very large table with as much spacing as possible, everyone masked. And I would probably caution against, you know, removing the masks for eating in an indoor space. If there is going to be some eating that occurs, individual packaged items and, and something like a carryout or something along the lines of delivery with everybody mm. having their own bag of food or their own items in front of them, no common sources of food. Let's go to Howard, who's in North Center. Howard, welcome to Reset. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, we are planning on going out to dinner tonight for my mother's 80th birthday at one of her favorite restaurants in the north suburbs they say they're doing everything right the tables will be distanced etc abiding by the guidelines should we reconsider what we're doing Mm. thanks howard for that question uh dr termina Uh, These are such gutting questions, Howard. Happy birthday to your mother. You know, again, there are certain environments that have sort of an indoor-outdoor space, maybe a covered patio or something along those lines with adequate ventilation, masking except for when you're eating and good distancing. And if it's an environment like that, uh, I, I would say that that could potentially be a safer environment. But at this point, I'm not comfortable saying that any indoor dining is going to be ideal, um, especially with someone who is an older individual. So uh, perhaps uh, moving that towards a more close-knit gathering in your home with a few people uh, or adding in the, the FaceTime or video calls with the extended family might be a better option. Yeah. As, as we look forward here into the, the winter months, and you said you knew there was going to be a surge in the fall and into the winter months, it was surprising to me because it almost feels like uh, we knew it was coming, but everybody wanted it to come a little bit later. 
You know, when, when we see uh, how schools, I, th- I think of colleges and universities where they said, you know what, right before Thanksgiving, we're taking a break and we're not coming back till February. They had those plans in place. Is, it, is, the, is the surge happening sooner than we might have thought? It is. Uh, and, you know, it has to do with the weather. It has to do with so many things. And I don't mean the weather and how the weather necessarily impacts the virus. I mean, it's it's been our tendency toward moving indoors that has um, really seen a, a surge of this virus a little bit sooner. I was expecting October. It came a little bit sooner in October than I was expecting. I was expecting more later October to November. But here we are, and the numbers are only rising. And again, when it comes down to our desire to return back to that indoor dining and indoor bars, and even some of the schools that have pulled back from having hybrid or in-person learning now rolling that back and pulling these kids back out to full virtual, uh, we have to string together numerous days, you know, at least three days in a row of a significant downward trend from where we're at, and we are not showing that that trend. So this could be, you know, weeks ongoing. I, I very much am concerned. Uh, that that we could have some partial, you know, phase three like restrictions for weeks to come if we don't reverse this trend. Can you still be a carrier after self isolating for two weeks? Oh, that's a tricky question. Most likely not. You know, generally speaking, if you presume the day you went into isolation and you truly were not interacting with anyone or exposing anybody, even if you had active virus on that day. Two weeks should be an abundance of time in order to clear the virus in most healthy hosts. Mm -hmm. So if someone is asymptomatic and tests positive on day one, in all probability by day 10, they no longer have culturable virus if they're otherwise healthy. So a two-week true isolation period should really clear somebody from that. Obviously, I can't say an absolute 100%, but it's going to be pretty darn close. Mm. Okay. Let's go to the phones. we got a lot of people on the line. Let's keep going on Sheridan Road up North Shore to Highland Park. Allison standing by. Allison, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you. Thank you. So what's your question? Uh, hi, Dr. Termina. My question is about Halloween. I have a 14-year-old. He's my third child and the only one remaining at home. Hmm. And he's bored. And he would very <laughs> much like to get together and trick-or-treat with his friends and also have 10 friends over in our backyard in a tent with heaters and masks. Uh, is there, and now that they've had the Lake County restrictions uh, increase, I'm worried that whether this is a good idea. Yeah, Nelson, thanks for that call. That's a that's a I, I would assume another tricky one for you. Uh, Gut wrenching uh, <laughs> call I'm into everybody's uh, events. <laughs> so here's how to do that a little more safely. First of all, when it comes to if they are going to be going uh, trick or treating, we know about all the uh, restrictions to try and keep things as reasonable and safe as possible. Wearing masks, distancing, not congregating in large groups while trick-or-treating. So 10 people all at once would really need to space themselves out quite a bit. When it comes to the after party, the forecast is still a week and change out, but we're looking at mid-50s and sunny for next Saturday. Mm. And if that's truly the case, then go ahead outside, but not necessarily in an enclosed tent. It should be warm enough with a, a fall jacket and maybe a bonfire to sit outside socially distanced with masks on, not indoors, not unmasked, and not, again, in in sort of a a cloistered environment with a tent. But as weather permits, uh, maybe move that gathering to the warmer part of the afternoon uh, with the friends to go ahead and have a little bit of socialization with that distancing and mask wearing. Our family has taken the the advice of Dr. Arwady, and we got a shoot. 
We went to we went to uh, Home Depot and we got this tubing and we put and we got a, our, our ladder and we, we tested it out yesterday and it works. Like you just put a little Snickers bar on top of it and you and it goes down and and we're set, we're more than six feet away and we keep the gate shut. It could work. It oh. could absolutely work, Justin. <laughs> we'll be by. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried, but uh, I think it's going to work. I think we're we're still working. We're in the testing phase right now, so we'll figure it out. I'll let you know how it goes next week. All right, let's go to Michael, who's standing by in Bronzeville. Michael, welcome to Reset. So I'm a, a public service employee at the state of Illinois at a driver services facility. I've been tuning into NPR lately trying to get updates on the virus, and I'm aware now of the CDC and their change of their um, definition of close contact and exposure and how it can now be over a cumulative 15 minutes or more rather than one sustained period of time. My question, uh, I guess, is specific to maybe facilities like the DMV, but, you know, more broadly, how does this new definition uh, affect businesses and public services, not only in the state, but I guess uh, more broadly, you know, are we headed toward another uh, lockdown, given this new definition from the CDC. Michael, great question. Thanks for friend. Thanks for that. Yeah, Michael, you might get the award for best question of the day. That is a way to be on top of the guidelines. Yes, the CDC did update the definition of a higher risk exposure. So for those who hadn't heard that less than six feet of distance for greater than 15 minutes has now been uh, considered to be greater than 15 minutes cumulatively in any 24 hour period. And this is meant uh, if you're in an indoor, perhaps conference hall or something along those lines. And over the course of a day, you have multiple five minute encounters with somebody who is later found to be COVID positive. And the CDC does say that that should be irregardless of mask wearing. That's what is stated. What we know is that still that prolonged continuous exposure is going to be greater risk and unmasked is going to be greater risk. So multiple casual exposures, while we do need to take that into consideration for higher risk, uh, is something that uh, there's going to be a lot of variables at play. Where this is worrisome is now that we have this more broadened definition of a cumulative 15 minutes of time, it could potentially lead to swaths of people in business, in schools, you know, all being put on 14-day quarantines. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be in response to the surges that we are seeing. That's not something that, that we would prefer to do, but we absolutely are at risk for that. So again, you know, it, being in an indoor environment with coworkers where someone is positive, this goes back and shows us that we need to be wearing masks, even indoors. And that means not just when you're forward facing with clients, it means when you go back to that break room and have a bite to eat and everyone takes their mask off. We need to stagger the times that people need to be unmasked for eating and other needs. And we need to stagger the times that people are in smaller spaces or those coworkers that are masked all day and then carpool home and everyone mm -hmm. takes their mask off. We need to be mindful of what we are doing in order to continue to move this in the right direction. It's, uh, it's rethinking everything. I mean, every employer has to, has to rethink it, even down to the break room. You're absolutely right. From the heart of the South Side in Bronzeville to the heart of the North Side in Edgewater, Linda's up next. Linda, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this is a quick question. Uber versus the bus. I have no car, been happily walking on all my errands and so on and so forth. But with winter coming, there are going to be some essential trips, and I'm wondering what's the higher risk? 
Mm. Uber or the bus? The answer to that question is going to depend on the time of your commute. If you are traveling at a very non, not busy time frame and the bus is likely to only have one or two patrons on it, then absolutely the bus. You're going to have a larger volume of air, um, more windows, and you're going to have uh, people that are masked on all public transportation. But if this is peak travel time and there's going to be, you know, uh, packed into the capacity that is allowed on buses, then obviously you're going to have a great greater potential for a concerning exposure. And in that case, even though an Uber is a smaller vehicle, to the extent that we hope the Uber driver is um, healthy and well, mm-hmm. and of course adhering to mask wearing, being in an Uber might be the safer choice. Let's head out west to Carroll Stream. Bruce is standing by. Bruce, welcome to Reset. Thanks for taking my call. We have a new three-month-old grandchild in Colorado, and we were trying or going back and forth on either driving which I'm going to have to stay in a hotel on the way there, or do I sit on an airplane for two and a half hours surrounded by 85 or 90 people, obviously wearing masks? So my question is, fly or drive? Fly or drive? That's a great, I mean, that is, I mean, that really is the question for any travel right now, fly or drive. What do you think, Dr. Termino? It's a tough one. Uh, First of all, congratulations, Grandpa, and I hope you get (laughs) to meet that little guy soon. Um, When it comes to driving, you're going to want to um, try and see if you can get a test before you drive and then isolate yourself uh, or quarantine with your spouse or significant other or anyone you may be traveling with prior to that that drive and then mask wearing the entire time and being mindful of, you know, if you need to stay in a hotel or, or facility like that, you know, that you are, you know, in a, in a, environment that seems to be clean and safe to the best of your knowledge and you're not congregating in groups or eating out or doing anything along those lines. And then go ahead and travel. And when you interact with your grandchild, you should still be masked, uh, especially if you're going to be physically holding the child and things like that. Now, when it comes to airlines, uh, we have had some really good numbers come out of our airlines. If the mask wearing is on point and, you know, we know the circulation of air has been very, very good um, on airlines, we have not had significant surges or spikes associated with airline travel being on the plane in and of itself, certainly keeping your distance from everyone else in the airport. So it's sort of a a 50-50, making sure you're healthy. I would advise getting a screening test uh, before travel and doing the best you can to isolate yourself and minimize close contacts prior to that travel and then staying as safe as you possibly can be during each mode of travel, no matter how you go. All right, let's go to Christy. Christy uh, sent in a voicemail about post-COVID life. If we have vaccines available to be widely distributed by the end of summer or 2021, which is what I've been hearing. Does that mean that kids are going to be able to go back to school? Kids are going to be able to go back to college and get their vaccines and go back to normal life? Or are they still going to be learning remotely, wearing their masks, even though they have a vaccine? Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Christy in Hinsdale with, I mean, that's the elephant in the room, right? Uh, Is there ever going to be a normal, Dr. Taramina? (laughs) We are, I don't think, ever going to have completely normal back to the way it used to be. I think masks are here for good, but that doesn't necessarily mean all the time, everywhere, every place. But you know, when we have a child that is otherwise afebrile and well and feeling good, but maybe at the tail end of a cold or cough and is still coughing, you know, all the idea of having these kids coughing and sneezing, 
maybe that's a kid we still smack a mask on as they go back to school. And I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more of that where um, we are vaccinated and hopefully we have a safe, effective vaccine. But we need to get a significant percentage of the population vaccinated with a vaccine that works and is effective to move us towards more normalcy. I think to the extent that people are unwell um, or have coughs or colds, wearing masks is going to be part of the day-to-day. We know that source control helps. We are already seeing cross our fingers in the southern hemisphere trends towards less influenza than we would normally have at this moment in time. It's still too soon to tell, but is all this mask wearing going to change the trajectory of, you know, having things be spread. Um, I think that we are, you know, beyond consideration for having a birthday party where the birthday boy or girl is Mm -hmm. blowing out candles over a cake that's sliced up and handed to a bunch of other children. We're learning things about disease transmission and viral transmission that are going to be uh, forever changing in our landscape in the future. So I do think that we'll be back to school full time if all goes well by next fall. But if we don't have a safe, effective vaccine and we don't adhere to mitigation strategies at this moment in time, we could be virtual learning a lot longer than any of us want to be. That's a a great point. Well, another great segment here. Uh, Dr. Mia Taramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group, joins us every week to answer your questions about best practices during COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Taramina, thanks for joining us. (laughs) Take care. And that's Reset for today. If you'd like more, you can find it at WBEZ.org. I'm Justin Kaufman. Have yourself a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.